Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's been getting advice from the ghost of Duke Ellington. It's my sister, Marissa. Um, skiddly bebop? <laughs> I'm not sure if you can repeat any advice that the ghost of Duke Ellington gives anybody on this show. No. This is a clean show, ironically. I know! I mean, I thought about that while we were watching. I tried to pick some cleaner episodes, but not. I just, there are none. Like, that's the real answer. Yeah. Um, so we watched Big Mouth this month, or this week, I'm sorry, because uh, this month we're celebrating the actress behind Judge Jen, Maya Rudolph, uh, in a theme we like to call May is for Maya. So we watched uh, the animated series from Netflix, Big Mouth, uh, which stars Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, Jesse Klein, Maya Rudolph, and a host of other uh, amazing voice I talent. mean, my favorite was... Uh, John Mulaney's parents, uh, yes. Richard, Richard Kind and Paula Pell. Paula Pell, who was also in our in last week's uh, romp through wine country. Yes, the and best part of it. Yes, she was the best part of it. Yeah, Paula Pell. Uh, I mean, there. I think Nick Kroll does like a ton of the voices on the show. But yeah, he does. I was surprised by that. But they've also got Andrew Rannells, Jason Manzukis, um, Jenny. Oh, Slate. Zooks. We got to talk about Zooks. Yeah. Yeah. He's a deviant. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he's playing a 13 year old version of every other character he's ever played on television. I think. Yeah. It's upsetting. But uh, Jenny Slate is in it. Our own. Jenny Zachary- Slate really killing it in the animation department because her other big gig is uh, being summer penguin on uh, Muppet babies oh there you go (laughs) kat dennings is in it Uh, it's a murderer's row all right uh, comedians wig uh our own zachary woods is in one episode who we love so yeah i mean it's just the voice talent is crazy on this show and my rudolph plays connie the hormone monstrous who is (laughs) my favorite character by far um before we get i mean we've already gotten into it a little bit but uh right up top we've got some housekeeping you can find us on itunes google play and at goodplay.cast.rocks uh you can please rate and review us on itunes that'll help maybe we'll do another review drive before season four yeah in like august or whatever uh, you can follow and like us on Facebook. We're at the Good Play Twitter at the Good Play Pod, and you can send us an email at the Good Play Pod at gmail dot com. So, should I set up a little bit of context? Because I guess I I don't. I watched the three episodes of the show that you told me to watch, and I still am not really sure what this show is. <laughs> <laughs> so I've watched every episode, basically because I was like, I think I'm gonna hate it, but I'll give it a shot. And then I watched the first episode and I was like, I am grossed out, but I also can't look away. And this is like very relatable in some ways to my own experiences and also like totally out there. I just, it was such a weird mixture for me. And I just mainlined the whole uh, of episode, uh, of season one. And uh, so I've, I've seen every episode and... Basically, it's it's based off of Nick Kroll and his best friend growing up, whose name is Andrew. 
co-created the show together and based it off their own experiences of puberty. Nick was a really late bloomer and his best friend Andrew was a really early bloomer, which is why you see Andrew in the show being an early bloomer. And Nick is kind of like still trying to figure it all out. And they actually have like a pretty gender balanced writer's room. I've watched a lot of like interviews with them where they all go around and like share stories from their puberty, like embarrassing puberty stories. And um, the hormone monstrous who were, I basically picked these episodes because they're really big Connie episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes she's like in it very little or sometimes she's like not that integral to the plot because it's more about the boys. But uh, these are big Connie episodes. I almost had us watch the first appearance, the episode where she makes her first appearance, but she's only in it for the last two minutes. I thought that would kind of be a waste. Mm. But she shows up at the end of the second episode of the first season because Jessie, who's voiced by Jessie Klein, gets her period for the first time at their school trip to the Statue of Liberty. Ooh, yikes. And it's hilarious that she's, like, completely mortified. And the only person that, like, is with her that she can ask for help is Andrew, and voiced by John Mulaney. And he goes to the gift shop to find her, like, some sanitary napkins or whatever. And all he can find is a commemorative September 11th towel. <laughs> and so she has to stuff it in her pants. Oh, God. That's, That's what I'm saying. Is that, like, this show is cringeworthy but also like so funny to me that i can't look away i just like i i know i'm being a like i i I know i'm just something about this show is just going like whizzing right past my ear because it's like this stuff isn't real right it's in their imaginations that's not like the, the reality of the supernatural stuff was confusing and distracting to me of the what like, stuff? The supernatural stuff. Like the oh, the yeah. monsters and their dimension and the depression kitty and the ghost of Duke Ellington and like all this stuff that is not real. And yet it interacted with the real world in a way where I couldn't figure out the rules. There doesn't seem to really be any rules. No, I don't think there are. And so I could I, I can mean, never get a handle on like what what what's happening. <laughs> I think probably the best way that I can describe it as like the puberty monsters are to a certain degree like Hobbes from Calvin and Hobbes in that they're real right. to the the child who is interacting with them and believes in them but to all the adults around them it's just Yeah, I just wasn't I didn't know how to interpret certain things though like so in the third episode we watched I'm skipping ahead a little bit in the third episode we watched was this a second season episode they go into the hormone monster's dimension. Mm-hmm. And there's just a bunch of stuff that, like, I don't know what this... If, if it's all supposed to be sort of imaginary or symbolic, then I don't know how to interpret it. Like, Nick Kroll's character meets this really aggressive and terrible puberty monster. Hormone monster? What? Which, which one is it? Hormone monster. Okay. Nick Kroll's character, the late bloomer, meets this really, like, aggressively awful hormone monster and he's like I don't know I don't think I want that so now am I supposed to understand that as he went to another dimension and he saw this really terrible hormone monster that I didn't want that or am I to understand it as like he observed toxic masculinity in the real world and said I don't think I want to be like that or when Jesse gets you know 
sort of cornered by the depression kitty am i to understand that she has she she had depression for 20 minutes or that she's had it for a while or that she's about to get it or what and and i really did not know what to make of the whole of jason manzukas's plot in the third episode which is i'm going to be as non-graphic as possible he is engaging in adult activities with a pillow and a couch cushion. One of the couch cushion is coated male and the pillow is coated female. And they're and, and it's supposed to be suggesting, I think, that J- Jason Manzoukas' character is bisexual. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So that's fine, but like what was that? Like what I don't I mean I don't understand that one I can I think I can give you a real answer, but again, we're a family show. <laughs> Which is that he's experimenting. And but like in his in, in his imagination, he's experimenting. Yes, I'm like trying to give you a look through my microphone. <laughs> Why don't but it we? Doesn't... I mean, okay. I think that so the thing that you're having trouble with is actually something that I really like about this show. So this I, is I, actually you know you know good, you know what our dad says about me. Right, that I'm uh, not in so many words, but that I'm extremely literal minded, and mm. so I will often have trouble <laughs> with things like this. Like <laughs> I, I can I, understand things when they're supposed to be obviously just symbolic or imaginary, and I can understand things that are just supposed to be obviously real and literal. And when you play in this in between space, I, I I lose the thread very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think. So for me, the thing that I like about it is that you have these, like, very cringeworthy, like, real-world experiences all the time as a teenager. But then they're, it's almost like they're using the supernatural or using these, like, outside embodiments of their own sexuality as a way to, like, make sense of what's going on. So I liked, I liked that aspect of it. Like, so if it had just been confined to... Each of these kids has a hormone monster. So, like, I really liked, for instance, you know, there's all these times where Jessie is fighting with her mother. Yeah. And they're, like, screaming at each other. And the hormone monstrous is there. And she's, like, also yelling. And she's way meaner than Jessie is. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I get this. This is obviously That's the voice symbolic. in your head. Yeah. It's the, right. It's the voice in your head. It's, it's, it's that sort of raging center of trying to distance yourself from your parents Right. And, and so like that, I was like, okay, I'm on board for this. Like, I understand it's not, it's not literally true. It's, it's a figment of her like burgeoning adulthood or whatever. Yeah. But then you get into the stuff with like a portal and I'm like, well then what is, what is this? This is not a thing. (laughs) Well, they have to come from somewhere. I mean, it's like monsters. No, they don't. (laughs) I mean, the monsters live in Monstropolis. Like, and I mean, to me, I think that was also... The, so the world kind of... I'll give some context for season two. So season one is very much like everybody gets their hormone monster and everybody starts acting crazy, basically. And then... Or acting like you do when you're starting puberty and you're like, oh, what is this? And then in season two, they inter- they they introduce another character who we see in the finale... Uh, which is the episode that we watched, uh, named The Shame Wizard. No, Shame Lizard. Wizard. No, I watched it with subtitles. It was Lizard. Oh, I thought he was a wizard. He was like a vampire. The subtitle said Lizard. Okay, I'm Googling it 
And everything I'm seeing says shame wizard. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Voiced by Peter Thulis. Another, like, amazing get. I don't know how they got him. And he's basically supposed to be the voice in their head. So the, the puberty or the hormone monsters are the voices in their head telling them to, like, you know, do gross things and yell at their parents all the time. <laughs> and the, the, sh- the shame wizard or lizard, depending on which <laughs> version you watched. Um, I did is, think it was weird that they called him a wizard. I mean. <laughs> is there to tell them, like, everybody thinks you're gross. Nobody likes you. Like, there's an episode where the shame wizard visits Jessie and is just, like, whispering in her ear while she's crying on her bed and is like, you know, your parents got divorced because of you and, like, Oh, do they finally get divorced? Good. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Um, And all these things. And then says, like, and you should have campaigned harder for Hillary. (laughs) Like, maybe she would have (laughs) won. So it's, like, so it's all these things where he goes around to each kid and, like, whispers in their ear... To give them that shame, right? Then the idea is that that shame comes from... So I think that they were kind of introducing this, like, larger, almost, like, mythology about, like, you know, the way that the good place has a good a good place HQ, a bad place HQ, and a middle ground where all the accountants live. That's essentially this, but for puberty. <laughs> for a stage in life, right? So... That's kind of how I looked at it, was that they're just kind of expanding the mythology. And I, I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, and they got Jean Smart to play the Depression Kitty. How did they get this? How did they get her? She's amazing. Who's Jean Smart? She was on Designing Women. Oh, Designing Women. Oh, okay. No, no, I know who it is now. Okay, okay. I'm good. <laughs> That's like not the first time we've referenced Designing Women on this show. We should do a Designing Women we Month. We should do a Designing Women Month. So do we want to kind of talk, do like a recap of these episodes or do we want to just sort of, because like we, quick ones, dis- I guess. Okay. Do you want me to do it? Or do I liked, do it? I'll do the first one because I actually kind of like the first one. Yeah. Probably better than I like the other two. Okay. It's called season one, episode five, girls get horny too. And essentially the plot here is that there is a book called the rock of Gibraltar, which I have to admit is a pretty good fake romance novel yes. title yes. i'm sure it's a real romance novel title too yeah and it's all about uh, you know this forbidden love in medieval spain and like every female character on the show is reading it and getting starry-eyed over gustavo <laughs> who's the male lead and it causes the boys to realize that girls also get horny that's and all their heads <laughs> explode which made me yes. so i laughed a lot this is pretty much the plot um i really loved missy missy is a is the jenny slate character she is this adorable little girl who has braces on her teeth and kind of talks funny because of the braces and is just like excited and revved up about everything and is just like such a positive little kid and she's just great yeah and there's obviously a thing between her and andrew in this that kind of blossoms into something kind of later and then it kind of blows up yeah yeah, she's adorable. She's Jenny so Slate. cute. She's so cute. Uh, I, I guess if if we want to focus on anything, I guess it should be what Maya Rudolph's role is. Yeah. Um, so I love... So when they're first introducing the book, 
uh, Missy is like excitedly explaining it to Jesse and is like, and then this happens and then he does this and then and then and like my insides feel like they're on fire and there's sprinkles yeah. everywhere and it's so very yes. cute. And Connie, the hormone monstrous who is Jesse's and it's she belongs to Jesse and Missy. But in this case, she's with Jesse and she just pops up and she's like eating chocolate and she just looks over. And she's like, you got to read that book. And yeah, that was that was good. That was good. And I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted us to watch this is because it's a very different role for Maya Rudolph. Like she gets to be like really over the top. And yes. Very like sexual and very like mean and kind of self she only cares about herself until the very end when you see that she actually does care about Jesse and she's like very emotional and I mean she's puberty right so she's all the things that puberty is but like in a female monstrous body so I love that she just pops up to be like the id in these situations where she's just like shoveling chocolate in her mouth she's like you gotta read that book (laughs) yes that was great yeah the other like major scene she has in this episode is that Jesse wants a bra like she has like um like a training bra, but she wants like a real bra. Which so she pull- I remember that feeling. Like I oh, really remember I do that feeling. Too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's how I feel about this show. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and then I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I had, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'd feel. I don't remember the drama of the bras. I remember the drama of leg shaving. That was like a whole other thing. Yeah. Ugh. I anyway. remember the drama of bras because in sixth grade, I was in gym class with eighth grade girls. Oh, no! It was the literal worst thing that has ever happened in my life. It's been a charmed life. <laughs> it was the worst. They, like, made fun of me. And then I went home and I was like, I need a bra. And mom was like, no, you don't. And I was like, right. that was mom's that was mom's response. Right. Yes. But I was like, but then all the girls and I like cried and she was like, oh, okay, let, let's figure this one out. <laughs> so this felt very, very real to me. And also Coach Steve says bra like the women in Bronx beat did. <laughs> so Jesse like basically guilts her mother into taking her to Victoria's Secret and and Connie is the one who like finds a red bra and she's like, this one, this is the bra, get this bra. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesse wears it to school and it's kind of a disaster. And it's, it's, it's an interesting cause you know, it goes really badly. All everyone's staring at her. She gets called names, you know? So she goes home and she's like crying in bed and Jesse's like, basically I'm paraphrasing like why did I let you talk me into that because it was terrible and like everyone was looking at me and Connie's like but you also liked it when some people looked at you and Jesse's like I know yeah (laughs) Connie's like you don't know what you want and Jesse's like no I don't (laughs) which is like yeah yeah that's that's how it goes well that's why I mean this I think this episode worked for me because like the extent of the supernatural activity or whatever was this sort of just like obvious sort of manifestation of the id or whatever and that's that's all that there was really and connie gets to sing so we get maya rudolph singing three out of three in our (laughs) maya rudolph month so that must be like in her writer somewhere like i must sing if i if i am to be (laughs) in your production i must sing someone find me a microphone and this song was basically just like really funny and all about the red bra and yeah i mean and it was also like it meant that the boys like her her 
guy friends looked at her differently, which, like, as a girl who had a lot of guy friends as she was going through puberty, that is I like, did not. I no guys just, wanted to be anywhere near me. I super... Only guys wanted to be near me, but, like, only in platonically. <laughs> um, but that... that The whole dynamic between, like, Nick and Andrew and Jesse, as, like, Nick and Andrew see her as, like, one of the guys, and then she starts developing like also feels very real to me and is something that I think Connie kind of like brings out for sure. And so like Jay tries to hit on Jesse and she like slams him against a locker. <laughs> Which felt, you know, deeply unrealistic, but also yay. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. And so basically, uh yeah, she ends up getting rid of the bra. I think but... you mean brar. Brar. <laughs> and Connie also says bubble bath really really in a way that makes me laugh a lot oh and jesse gets to know herself a little bit and i'll just leave it there and the voice of herself is Kristen wig which i did not realize until i read your notes but it was funny yeah but it's like a very sweet little moment and do you want me to do i survived jesse's bat mitzvah sure okay so essentially the the plot of this one if i can boil it down is basically that in the e like towards the lead up to Jesse's bat mitzvah there's a lot of tension in her household her mother in a previous episode Jesse and Nick and Andrew accidentally caught Jesse's mom kissing a woman and so there's obviously some strife going on in in Jesse's parents' marriage, and Jesse's dad is kind of a not a deadbeat, but like is kind of just. Oh, like we seem pretty much deadbeatish to me. I mean, like he's not a deadbeat dad. He loves his daughter, but he's a deadbeat husband. He's not a very good husband, and Jesse like basically is confused and and angry with her mom, and she doesn't feel like she can say anything and. Um, This is another instance where Connie is kind of, like, being the voice in her head telling her to, like, Like, the really angry voice, yeah. Really angry voice. And I included this episode because of Connie's monologue about the boxy dress. Oh, that Um, was great. It was, was yeah, that's why. And so, uh, so Connie goes, burn this house to the ground. Use the boxy dress as kindling because her mom got her a boxy dress for her bat mitzvah. Um, I also included this. Who to, among us was, was not forced say. into an unflattering outfit on the day that they became a woman? I mean, that's why I included this episode, really. It's just that we both had bat mitzvahs, and they come with a lot of drums. Like, even good ones come with drums. And so, meanwhile, there's this other story with Nick, where he kind of wants to prove that he's not a baby anymore. And, oh, his dad is voiced by Fred Armisen, and his mom is also Maya Rudolph. Yeah, I couldn't tell it was Maya Rudolph. I had to look it up. And so his mom is like... How many times now have Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen portrayed a married couple? Ooh. So I'm thinking of at least three just off the top of my head. Which ones? Well, Michelle and Barack Obama. Michelle and Barack. And in the Amazon... I think it was an Amazon show they did about the afterlife. They are also a married couple. Oh, all right. So, um, yeah, his mom is like really bummed you know she's sad that her baby doesn't want to be like tucked in anymore and all that stuff that would break me by the way yeah that's gonna be tough for you yeah (laughs) um so (laughs) 
Jesse, the day of the bat mitzvah, Jesse's getting ready. Connie is like, we look like a couple of fig newtons because <laughs> Connie also has the boxy dress on. <laughs> this is pretty funny, yeah. It was great. Um, the cantor comes in to tell them they're starting in five minutes. Jay also comes to see her. Jay is kind of like trying to court her. And Jay is, is Manzukas. Jay, yeah, Jay is Jason Manzukas, and he is like a deviant. <laughs> uh, but like has a really horrendo home life. And then, like, everybody congregates at the synagogue, and you kind of get, like, Jesse's on the bima with Connie, and everybody else is in the pews, and they're kind of all, like, talking or whatever. They're not and really it, called pews at synagogue. What are I they? don't know what they're called, but I've never heard them called pews. <laughs> okay, well, they look like pews. I don't know. Ben- benches. benches. Jewish, sure. Jewish benches. <laughs> Jewish benches. Great. And so... Missy and Andrew sneak off together because their parents think they're too young to be together. So Missy and Andrew sneak off together and and Andrew's like, I can be your Gustavo, which is like a callback to the other episode we watched, you know, and we sort of piece together that basically the cantor of the synagogue, which is like a very progressive, like acoustic guitar synagogue. um, I hate, I hate. I hate acoustic guitar services. I hate oh, it. I, I hated it, it when I was in college. I hate it now. I hate it. I don't mind it. But mostly for kid services, I don't mind it. But basically to figure out that that's the woman that that Jesse's mom has been macking on. And so they all the the kids kind of realize it at the same time. And um, meanwhile, Andrew tells Missy that he loves her and Missy gets overwhelmed and she vomits on him. <laughs> And then a couple of the girls from their school are doing, including June Diane Raphael, are doing a very bat mitzvah speech. Like, J is for Jesse, who we all love. And, like, E is for everyone, all the people who love Jesse. And Connie is kind of, like, stoking Jesse's unhappiness about Cantordina and, like, you know, like, I can't believe her. And, like, basically just being the angry voice in Jesse's head. And Jesse confronts her mom. I was really glad that they did not. It would have been really easy for this to be like, oh, it was all a misunderstanding. You know what I mean? Like, oh, honey, you don't understand. Like, you know, like basically her mom came clean immediately, which was the preferred outcome for me as a as a viewer. Yeah, totally. And her mom comes clean, as you said. And but also her husband is outside and overhears the whole thing. And, you know... He's outside vaping weed. You forgot that part. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Outside vaping weed. I mean, look, I'm not defending this guy. It's not a good look. And they end up having, like, this really tense moment on the dance floor trying to give speeches in front of everybody. And it's really, really rough. And then everybody kind of gets on the dance floor and they do a number that's basically about how all their lives are a mess. Life is a forked up mess. Um, that was really depressing. It was. And also we get to hear Maya Rudolph sing again. Oh, um, I didn't realize it was her. As the mom, right? As as Nick's mom. Then, like, every, people kind of make up at the end of the episode, except for, like, Jessie and her parents. And, I mean, Jessie and her dad kind of have a moment, but... You know, she's really just angry at her mom. And then Jesse kisses Jay and Connie calls her Bubbala, which I thought was really cute. Yeah. And then do you want to do the last episode or should I? Yeah, I mean, the last one is the one I've kind of complained about, which is they go to the dimension of the puberty uh, department. Because Nick's sort of incompetent 
hormone monster accidentally left a portal open. Mm-hmm. And so, essentially, Nick and Andrew and Jesse all end up going in together. Jesse is there because she ran away from her mother who was trying to take her to therapy. I, I, I am to understand that she really has been acting out. I mean, I didn't see that. Yeah, she, in the intervening episodes, Connie has... Uh, encouraged her to shoplift. She she did drugs. She's like kind of going what, down. What a does dark it path. mean to do drugs here? I don't remember exactly. It's been a while since I watched that episode. But like the shoplifting was like fairly minor. Um, I think it was like drugstore lipstick or something like that. But you know, it's. I think the idea here is that like these are kids from Westchester, and therefore, like even sort of minor indiscretions are a. a big bigger concern to their parents in some ways Mm -hmm. not to generalize like we grew up in the suburbs (laughs) right (laughs) so they all end up going into this dimension of the hormone monsters and the reason that nick specifically wants to go is because his puberty monster got fired for incompetence and they're like yeah we're just gonna put your puberty on hold (laughs) which is really mean yeah which is and that's his being a late bloomer basically yeah he he did bloom though eventually that he Yes, it's kind of jacked now. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Oh, Nick Roll, Yeah. Yeah. So in the dimension of the hormone monsters, Nick kind of tries to recruit this really hot shot hormone monster for himself. Very aggro Craig. Yes. But then he kind of decides against it. Nick, for some, I mean, probably for the reason that he's the creator of the show, like his child self gets to be sort of the voice of reason a lot, which is a little weird and probably unrealistic, but... <laughs> He ultimately decides, like, I don't want this super aggro uh, hormone monster. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Jessie stumbles into, somehow, a meeting about herself where... She sees a sign about it. Yeah, so it's a bunch of participants in Jessie's sort of uh, inner life, like her DNA and her ambition, and then also Connie is there. And they're sort of saying, like, Connie, like, you've really messed things up pretty badly (laughs) and she's been shoplifting and this is terrible so we're going to call in outside help and they call in depression kitty and depression kitty and then jesse kind of bursts into the room and they're like what are you doing here and and she says you know i agree that connie's been bad for me and so i want to try this depression kitty or whatever Well, she basically says i mean so depression kitty's whole thing is like don't you just want things to be easier and so yeah, she Jesse says like I'm tired of fighting, I'm tired of feeling bad all the time. So like, yeah, I I want to go with you. So she kind of gives herself over to it. It's a really odd imagined mechanism of depression. <laughs> like just the the notion that it's somehow compensation for overactive puberty or it's uh it's an alternative to acting out. I mean, it was just all this stuff. And the, the element of choice that Jesse appeared to have in it. Like, I was like, none of this is, everybody knows this isn't what depression is. Right. Like it's, it's weird because the hormone stuff seems pretty on point, right? Like the hormone monster kind of just shows up. You don't get a choice. You don't get to choose which hormone monster it is. And it makes you do like ill considered things. Right. (laughs) Yeah. As opposed to like, Jesse kind of invited the depression kitty, which, like, people don't invite depression, you know? Like, it was weird. It was really weird. I didn't really... Like, this whole... Jesse's whole piece of this episode, like, metaphorically just did not work for me 
kind of on any level. And I didn't know what it was ultimately supposed to be saying. I mean, they say afterwards, like, Andrew and Nick say, like, we didn't know you were depressed. And it's like, oh, okay, so so she's been depressed? Is that sort of, you know, all the anger is just a cover for her depression, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I sort of took it as, like, that she is kind of finally, like, yeah, moving to a different stage of her depression, right? Or or kind of has to has to reach a certain point before she realizes that like maybe she does actually need some help because she's been in denial, uh, you know, and seeing or she doesn't really understand what's wrong with her, right? Like she feels terrible all the time. She doesn't really understand what's wrong with her, and then she sees kind of like this sort of confrontation in a conference room full of like all the different parts of her personality and kind of starts to understand that there's something wrong and she thinks well maybe if I just kind of give in to how bad I'm feeling then like at least it'll be easier and I can stop feeling terrible all the time yeah I mean the reason I included this episode was to kind of show that Connie like does really care like there's an element of like the Connie Jesse relationship that's really contentious obviously because Connie's always egging her on to do like terrible things but like she does in the end really care about Jesse like doesn't want her to you know like spiral out spiral out or sink into like a really deep depression where I mean the idea is like no one like don't they're in that like long hallway and I think Andrew says like wow there's so many rooms here or something he like says that. a billion I was like yep <laughs> I mean yeah, like a lot of, and and the depression kitty kind of makes the door disappear. So it's this idea of like, you're sinking away to like where your friends can't find you and like where the people who, who love you and who want to help you can't find you. And so that's, and, and Connie kind of like rallying herself or like uh, the old busted puberty monster who I love, um, kind of rallying her to, to get her back up, you know, I I liked that, but I can also understand that it's kind of problematic to be like, oh, I'm choosing to do this. Like, I'm choosing to be depressed or I'm choosing. But it, it did also, like, I feel like it's, there was an element of, like, once she took one step down that path, it got harder and harder for her to get out of it, which is mm. might be true, right? Because Depression Kitty, like, sits on top of her and, like, keeps her wrapped up. And every time she's like, maybe I should get up, she's like, no, 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 just stay where you are. And, like, I'll bring you more soupy ice cream. And Oh, I almost threw up at that part. And then when her friends come around the corner, like, and are calling her name, Jesse's like, oh, those are my friends. And Depression Kitty's like, nope, you're not getting out of here. So I think there's this element of, like, you may think you're choosing, quote unquote, choosing, like, an easier path, but it becomes more and more difficult to get out of. I don't know. I don't know. The interesting thing for also for Maya Rudolph is that at the very end of the episode, Connie becomes Nick's puberty monster as well. She does. Is there a significance to the fact that she's female? I mean, I think so. Season three hasn't really come out yet with the exception of they did a Valentine's day special, which is more like a feature length, not quite a feature length, but it's over and I think it's about an hour. And so we haven't really gotten to see how Nick having a... Actually, no, we did get to see how Nick having a female puberty monster or hormone monster kind of changes him because in the, in the Valentine's Day episode, 
like he starts to become a lot more sensitive and Andrew who is having a lot more trouble kind of becomes not like really aggro toxically masculine but starts to like think that he's owed things or like he he doesn't Missy kind of like breaks things off with him or starts seeing somebody else I think and he doesn't take it well and he thinks like you should be with me and he gets like really territorial about her Mm. yeah it's not a good look but it's but it's sort of I think it's supposed to be that like Nick's puberty monster hormone monster is like kind of showing him a different side of like what masculinity could look like if you kind of had a, a you know a different kind of voice in your head while you're going through all this stuff and then Nick still has Maurice who is also voiced by Nick Kroll who sounds a lot like Will Arnett I thought it was Will he Arnett. sounds so I I was like it's Will Arnett why is the cast list not showing me Will Arnett and I was like it's Nick Kroll it's Nick Kroll yeah um, but he does a very good Will Arnett impression uh, awkward because he dated uh, uh, what's her face yeah Amy Poehler yeah why is uh, that awkward? Because she and Will Arnett used to be married. Right. Oh, yeah. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird choice. You're imitating your ex-girlfriend's ex-husband. And he's like a terrible, like, monster. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. But, like, so Andrew still has Maurice in his more, head. It's Maury. Well, is it Maurice Law? It's like Maury for short? They yeah, keep... I think it's Maury for short. Yeah. So Andrew still has Maury, the, the hormone monster, kind of in his head. And he kind of takes a, a bad turn. Uh, hopefully he'll get a redemption arc because I love John Mulaney so much. But I think it's supposed to demonstrate kind of the difference of what happens, you know, or explaining maybe like why some kids go one way and some kids go another way. In that kind of because they get different kind of monsters. Okay, yeah. Do we want to? Let me see if there's anything from the third episode about Connie that we missed. Well, there's a whole thing in here. I mean, I already mentioned it about Jason Manzukas's character kind of coming to terms with his bisexuality in a way that was deeply, deeply, deeply confusing for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, this is a family podcast, so I can give you my like full uh understanding of it once we are not recording anymore (laughs) he they could have he could have just been fantasizing do you know what i mean like he could have just had fantasies in his head so that were male and female but there's another episode in this series where he uh i did not make you watch this episode for a reason has relations with a pillow of his voiced by Kristen bell and that results in a pillow pregnancy. <laughs> so there is a... What? Yes. So there is a through line. There's like a theme of him experimenting with pillows in the house. <laughs> so it's his version of a fantasy life, basically. Just what even? I mean, what? I don't know. So yeah. Also, a great line that I wrote down from this episode is when Nick is really horrified by the aggro puberty monster. He says, he's like the Suge Knight of hormone monsters. That was funny. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> and Andrew actually befriends the shame wizard. That's the other thing that happens. Is... Yeah, because I think the shame guy, like, rightfully is like, like you need shame. You, yeah. you cannot actually be completely governed by this hormone monster because you're going to turn into a creep. 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that is accurate. And that's essentially what happens is that in the in the third first episode of the third season, which is the Valentine's Day special, he kind of starts to turn into a creep. And the second to last episode of the second season, if you know if you noticed at the beginning of the last uh, of episode 10, which is the one we watched, they're all like sort of recovering from this crazy night and like all trying to figure out what happened. And there's like a JJ Bittenbinder detective there. Oh yeah. I couldn't make heads or tails of that plot line, but I was like, I was like, Oh, that's Mulaney doing a Chicago accent, but I don't know what's (laughs) happening. So that there is a night where they all get together. Like all basically the entire grade has a sleepover at the gymnasium and which is i mean by the way terrible idea i don't know who engineered that but they all realize that they can all see the shame monster or shame wizard rather and they banish the shame wizard and they like get him to go away and then they have this like night of complete and utter debauchery and things just like get really out of hand (laughs) because like you said you need shame and so they just like go ham for this one night and like basically burn down like you saw the gym the next morning. Spider ham. They do. They well, another John Mullaney. I know, that's so, where yes. I said. And so they, they go spider ham and they totally like ruin the gymnasium, which is why it's like on fire the next day, like singed the next day. And also Andrew sees that like the shame wizard basically like isn't in the in the land of puberty like isn't welcome among his peers because he shames all of them all the time and andrew kind of feels like an outcast too a little bit so they they share a moment and he's like you need some shame in your life kid and he's like yeah i probably do do we want to say anything else about my rudolph she's doing a funny voice and i love it me too there's a in the in the um valentine's day special they do these... I'll see if I can find it. Uh, maybe we can tweet it out or something. They do these, like, interstitials with, quote-unquote, couples. And the couples are the kid and their hormone monster, the way that you they do in When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> so they're, like, sitting on a couch, and there's, like... You know, it's, like, a vintage couch with, like, the wallpaper background. <laughs> and they're, they're, like, clipping the... It's almost like they're being interviewed by, like, a, a team... And they both have lavaliers, like those little clip-on mics. And uh, my and uh, Connie's like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna curse the way she does, but she's like, what the fork am I supposed to do with this? Just clip it on my fork and fur. <laughs> <laughs> Made me laugh. That's pretty so great. Much. Yeah, she's doing a great voice. She sings. She gets to hang out with her comedian friends all day. It's yeah, a- she's delightful. Yeah, she's delightful. I got, you know, I, 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 this show is not for me, but it doesn't mean it's not good. You know, it's just not for me. And yeah. everybody, I didn't who, think it would be for you. <laughs> yeah. And all the voice talent, you know, seems to be really killing it. Maya Rudolph, especially. Um, yeah. I thought I, I did not recognize her at all as Nick's mom. Yeah. And she it's a, a couple of other people too, I think. Yeah, I think she does. And I thought she did really great in both those roles. And the fact that I couldn't recognize her is, you know. Is impressive because she has kind of a distinctive voice. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said before, like just kind of a different role for her because I think in some of the other stuff, I mean, I th- Wine Country is this, but she also plays a version of that same character in like the movie Friends with Kids, which I love. Um, she also plays kind of like a harried mom 
and in Away We Go, which is another movie that maybe we'll do at a different time if we ever... I don't know. It's so I love that movie, but it's so sad. It's pretty sad. Ah, it's, like, poignant. I don't know about sad. Yeah, poignant. That's a good... Yeah. But she also plays, like, a very, like, sensitive... Like, it's a it's a motherhood role for her. So I think it's it's kind of fun to see her outside of that and, like, see her just kind of, like, being super raunchy and weird and, like, having her totally own that, which is really fun. And it kind of feels to me like it's kind of who she is, you know? If I suspect that she, like, deep down kind of is, like, raunchy and weird and, you know, <laughs> she, enjoy- she enjoys getting to do this. Yeah, I, I really think so because she really does a great job and I, she, I hope she is living it up. I tried to find a an interview with her about this show and I really couldn't. Most of the interviews are hmm. with um, Kroll, probably. Nick Kroll and Mulaney and sometimes Jenny Slate. They're they're probably less in demand than my Rudolph is. Yeah, that's um, probably true. But yeah, I don't know. I I really like this show, but I totally understand why you don't because it's really gross and weird. It's so gross and weird. Yes, <laughs> it is both those things. And I'll be honest, like I wasn't laughing super hard either. Like mm-hmm. I chuckled some. And there were a couple times where I was like, that was a good line or whatever. I, I mean, I think I laughed probably the most at Andrew's parents, who are Richard Kind and Paula Pell, and yes. therefore hilarious. Yes. Richard Kind always wants to eat scallops. <laughs> it's like that. I couldn't believe it came up in like all three of the episodes <laughs> we watched. But, you know, it was not. I, I, I'm a pretty. It's pretty easy to make me laugh, all things considered. Like. I, I will laugh really hard at a lot of things. I, I have a good sense of humor and I enjoy laughing and I, I'm not like a, I'm not like a tough cookie. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So just sitting and watching this and just kind of being like, this is amusing, but like never really actually breaking out into laughter. It's like, well then what's the point? <laughs> right. Yeah. If, no, I hear if it's you. not, if it's not tickling your funny bone. You know, in my opinion, I was like, I was like, who's this show for? I was like, maybe it's for adolescents who kind of want to feel normal yeah. The only other kind of thing I can think it's for is like, okay, if aliens came to Earth and needed to understand <laughs> human development, but they could only like understand it in metaphors, <laughs> then like maybe we would show them this <laughs> parts of it, clips of it. I don't know. I also liked at the beginning when Connie was like, you know, Jesse's like, you make me feel terrible all the time. And Connie's like, I can make you feel good too. Like that time your mother showed you dirty dancing. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, so I think the other kind of person that this show is for is maybe Patrick Swayze fans. No, I just, well, I mean, everything is for Patrick Swayze fans. (laughs) Time of my life. But is for kind of adults who like, want maybe don't don't want to experience puberty again because like that movie eighth grade came out and everyone's like it's so good you need to watch eighth grade and i was like you could not pay me a million dollars to go back to the eighth grade never 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 but that's because that movie is like hyper realistic about a girl's awkward experiences and i think the thing that appeals to me is that this is kind of like that mix like i said of really realistic but also fantastical so you can kind of look back and say oh like yes that is kind of what it felt like it kind of felt like when you 
go through puberty like you have this like weird voice in your head or you have this like you know you're going through this land that you don't know how to navigate and all that kind of stuff at least you know for me so i don't know i i kind of like that stuff but i i like the fact that it's a little bit more fantastical so maybe the show is for weirdos like me and maybe it's just not for weirdos like me who have trouble with things that aren't very spelled out (laughs) (laughs) like i wonder if there's like a version of this that's like this is a metaphor for xyz i mean it was like i don't want to get back into it it's like it's obvious what what things were kind of supposed to be metaphors for but it just wasn't executed that cleanly Mm. yeah i can i can see that at least for the last episode i think yeah exactly it's kind of you can kind of yeah the the first two hung together pretty well i thought yeah you want to say anything else or no i don't know what we're doing for june but uh we'll think of something yeah, I mean, we're both going to be traveling a bunch in June, so we gotta, sure are. We got to figure that out too. <laughs> Hooray! Um, new listener Jeff had a had an idea for a potential month where we do something about like constructed realities, since the since the Good Place neighborhood is kind of a constructed reality. That seems awfully highfalutin, but if you can think of, like, three or four things to... I don't know, man. Uh, what's that movie? Um... The, the Matrix? What? What's oh, that? oh, 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 Inception. <laughs> I like that you got it. <laughs> 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 I love that you got it from the horn. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, could watch Inception, I guess. <laughs> That's a long movie. It's a long, serious movie. <laughs> Maybe we'll figure something else out. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. If you guys have any suggestions, get at us, please. We need you. <laughs> Everyone's please. like, you're on your own, ladies. Please, please, please. And uh, I guess, I don't know. Should we wrap up? Sure. Until next time, see you in Ghost Court with uh, the ghost of Duke Ellington. We'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Until next time, I'll see you in Ghost Court. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, no, that's the monk theme song. What yeah, sure doing? is. <laughs> um, oh, Jordan Peele plays the ghost of Duke Ellington. Uh, until next time. Or you did that. I'm I sure did. Intro. <laughs> Outro. <laughs> Outro. <laughs> Can you do it again? Sorry. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>